Are you a graphic designer, Steve, or is it what you what you do? No, so I'm a v- video audio guy. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. what's the what's the old adage? You know, if you can't be a graphic designer, there's always video audio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to warm you up, Steve. <laughs> Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Holland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is sponsored by, well, my course, the How to Get Started Being Freelance course. So if you know someone looking to get started and you feel like maybe you could do them a favor and help them avoid all of the mistakes that most of us make, then please do point them in the direction. All the details are at beingfreelance.com. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for graphic designer Aaron Draplin. I went on my own in 2004, simply prompted by friends kind of messing with me and saying, you can do this out of your basement, out of your home. You have, I don't know if it's the talent or whatever, but you do have the wherewithal. Like you've got the gusto and the energy and the grit to go do this. So I did. Someone come to me for a logo, I would have to leverage and say, you guys, I have so much going on with my big three. If I'm gonna do this project for you, this is the price. Because what it means is they've already got me Monday through Saturday. But if I'm going to give you my Sunday night and Sunday, you're paying for it. But I just started to like stand up for myself. Because if it meant compromising my time, let's get paid for it. Why did I go freelance? Because I could do better. I could do better and have a better creative life in that world, right? Fuck, man, so far so good. So yes, Aaron James Draplin of Draplin Design Co. coming up very soon indeed. And actually, I should just say, even though like we spoke for so long, I still feel like we didn't quite cover everything that he does. Like We didn't cover the fact that he teaches on Skillshare, a seeming passion for like wanting to help other designers. Anyway, I did my best to mine into his amazing career and the stories that go with it. So I hope you enjoy. That is coming up in a moment. Just make sure you go follow us with all of our guests. Go follow them online, beingfreelance.com. Click through, find them on social media, say hi to them if you enjoy the episode. Also, uh, at beingfreelance.com, there are loads of articles that we write for the blog. There's videos. There's the community element of it, including the directory, which is free to join when you're part of the community thanks to the uh, lovely gold stack account so keep that free there's the community itself so you can come and join freelancers from around the world uh, hanging out having fun live q a's the book club and just a really supportive place you're not alone being freelance come and join us the link to the community is at beingfreelance.com and of course uh, new for this year is the course as well where i've taken both my experience as a freelancer but also that of all of my guests that I've spoken to over the past six years so that we've got we've got your back basically you know there are so many pitfalls that you can make along the way and I really feel like we cover a lot of them off so that you should at least be able to keep an eye out for them if not more intentionally avoid them to begin with and um, start off on the right foot so yeah loads of lovely feedback coming in for the course thank you so much to those who have already taken it if you think you know somebody who could do with it then please do share it with them right without further ado let's crack on and chat to this week's guest and that is freelance graphic designer aaron draplin hey aaron hello <laughs> that's a nice hello you podcasters with all the energy you know just go <laughs> ape shit for that first you know coming you know, sliding down the mountain you know into the into the crotch of the valley into a big crash of trees and the avalanche i just keep my cool man i keep my 
cool. <laughs> I just I preserve the energy so I can just weather all this hardball journalism that's going on here. What are we, what are we going to talk about, man? We always get started like by hearing how you got started being freelance. How did you get started? Why I got excited to talk to you is because the freelance thing is still a mystery to me, right? Where this all started for me was it goes all the way back to when I left Michigan in 1993 and we went out west. My capability to do an illustration for someone, for a snowboard or a skateboard or something to that effect, that was freelance, right? You know, every kid had a job, pizza job, you know, work up at the mountain, you know, like some ski resort or, you know, uh, 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 waiting tables or you know, pumping gas. Okay, so every kid where I'm from in Michigan had a job. So when we took that out west, to Bend, Oregon, where we were these little scumbags, you know, snowboarders and skateboarders that moved out there as a, as a collective, like six of us, right? 1993, I was 19 years old. We got out there and all of us got our jobs and I had a pizza job and I had a car. So I was lucky to have that. And I was lucky to do, have a pizza delivery sort of, you know, gig. But at night I would do stuff extracurricular. I would take on these jobs either for friends or whatever. So that's been in me all the way back. Now, you know, you do a bunch of stuff that it's all analog because I didn't have a computer, right? So all it was was pen and ink and things and stuff. And I was learning how to be an illustrator. But in about 1998, I went back to school in uh, Minneapolis and got a big highfalutin graphic design degree because there was a hole in me. You know, the freelance thing out West, piecemeal little pieces here and there was mm -hmm. awesome. In 1996, a couple of years before I went back to Minneapolis, I went to Alaska and got my first computer. I, I worked all summer washing dishes and came back down to Oregon, had this computer. And then that, that winter of 96, 97, I worked freelance armed with a computer, right? And that winter, I didn't have to have a pizza job, right? So that was that first sort of like jump. Okay. So I did that for a couple of years. Everything was great. I was armed with this machine. I was capable now of making vectory things and layouts and, you know, trifold brochures and just things and stuff. But there was a hole. And the hole was, what didn't I learn in art school? I mean, don't you have to have that to go to the next level in this thing? You know, how was I able to even make any money? Well, that was called being freelance, right? So I go back to school and I get immersed in, well, let's say sort of contemporary culture, you know, of, of graphic design in a big city, in a thriving city, in a um, progressive, cool graphic design scene. And I was still doing some freelance. They train you to, you know, to get ready to go into work, a work situation, which I did right away, you know, in 2000. I, I did two years there in Minneapolis and uh, went and took a snowboarding magazine job in Southern California. So I do that for two years down in the beach, you know, in sort of south of L.A., the longest two years of my life. I mean, it was a beautiful place and all that stuff, but it just wasn't for me. I get back to Portland in 2002. So I've been this big sort of cycle. I went from, you know, Oregon to Alaska in the summers and I go Oregon back to Minneapolis to learn. Then I go down to cut my teeth in my first job in LA. I get back to Oregon in 2002. I get an awesome studio job. I did that for two years, played by the rules, worked late. And I went on my own in 2004, simply prompted by friends kind of messing with me and saying, you can do this out of your basement, out of your home. You have... I don't know if it's a talent or whatever, but you do have the wherewithal. Like you've got the gusto and the energy and the grit to go do this. So I did. And so since 2004, I have been freelance. Now, sometimes that was with retainers. 
and contracts and NDAs and just, you know, legal beagle. Other times it was just for scumbag buddies, you know, and all, all of it adds <laughs> up to a fucking awesome life. You know, it's been incredible these last now 17 years, you know, and I'll never go back, you know, and, and just to be clear, they dangle the big stuff in front of me every now and again, and I take it and I bite. And other times they dangle a hundred bucks and say, listen, I, I just need help cleaning up this logo. Can you do this? You know, a hundred bucks in my life is still four records, right? You know, and I, I will never lose this idea of like, how dare someone get that logo to the 90% you know, percentile or something. And I'm just gonna do the final 10% for 200 bucks or something. I will never lose that buzz. If I had that opportunity back in 93, it would have changed my entire winter, right? I remember mm. doing a logo for 300 bucks and it got me ahead. It got me ahead when I was 20 years old, you know, <laughs> 300 more bucks than my buddy next to me. And just, it meant everything. So I've never lost that, you know, and this ability to guide myself and this ability to make my own hours and make my own time. That's why I wanted to talk to you, you know, because I want kids to hear that shit, that this exists, you know? So you worked in-house in a studio for two years and then, you know, your friend said, you can do this. But how did you go about doing that? Like, did you, were you still working on the side that whole time? Well, it was a transition because here's, here's what happens, you know, is, <laughs> you know, all the way since I was a kid, I was always working on the side somewhere, right? What's paramount is that you have to pay your bills. In high school, it was, you know, you got to pay your insurance for your car or your lift tickets or, you know, up to the mountain or skateboard decks or you know, small things. When you're in school, you have to make sure your rent is covered and whatever the things are. And, you know, then, of course, when I got on my own, you have to pay for an apartment and all that kind of stuff. I always had that focus to make sure that my bills were paid, just whatever the day job was. But there was always some side hustle always going on, either for fun or for some cash. And what happens is... You know, when I got my first studio job, it was being paid 65,000 bucks a year, you know, and I don't know what the hell that is in the Queen's Royal fucking, you know, uh, the Harry and Meghan currency. I don't know what that is. How many, how many Cadbury eggs divided by, you know, the, 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 the Queen's Royal. I don't know, but, 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 but. You know, 65 grand was a lot for a kid who was 30, 31 years old. It was a lot. And it allowed me to start to get ahead. Like I, when I got my job at this, this, my only agency job I've ever had, they said to us, you're allowed to work freelance all you want, but just keep it out of the day job. No problem. But I started to do stuff at night there because listen, what the, the studio gave us, it gave us like ping pong tables, not necessarily to play. And I had some killer moves, by the way. But it wasn't necessarily just to play. That ping pong table meant real estate for me. I could print little go-co cards and little screen print things and use this large surface to let them dry. Back in my shit apartment, you know, you've got cardboard boxes and things and stuff spilling, you know, okay, whatever. So I would stay late and I would use that facility just to have space and real estate to play with. I would use that facility to plug my amp in and play my guitars as loud as I never could ever play inside, you know, my apartment. I'd get in trouble in my apartment. Now there, <laughs> it's an industrial kind of area. It closes at night. No one's around. It's secure. And I'm in there hammering. So I would take advantage of those facilities, right? 
and these extracurricular efforts, we'll just say. But what happened was those things that were I was using either to print or just play, I started to get jobs. And then whatever I was making at my day job, those jobs kind of started to outweigh what I could make on my own after seven o'clock, six o'clock, when everyone went home, right? Mm. And it basically tipped, it tipped. And I could make more freelance than I could. I have to be careful here because I loved that job at Cinco Design. You know, they gave me a shot. I learned so much from the owner, Kirk James. I mean, this is a long time ago. It's 17 years ago, but he is to this day, one of the greatest designers I've ever been close, you know, watching him make things. And I learned a ton, but to go out on my own, he did, did kind of say to me, you know, this is a natural step and you know, you're going to go do this. We'd love to keep you here. Um, but we understand that you're going to go make this, you know, this leap. And in my first year on my own in 2004, and I just love to say this because I, mean, I know you're not supposed to talk about numbers and, you know, uh, measurements and just all this ages and all this kind of shit, but who gives a shit? I'm 47 years old now, but then in 2004, I was 31 years old in my first year, completely freelance, independent from meetings about meetings and, you know, account managers who I miss. <laughs> These are friends, you know, independent from everything. I cleared 200 grand that first year. And that yeah. was amazing. So what that basically meant was I made three times as much, but smarter than that, I started to pay everything off. I bought a house right before I, I, I went on my own. You know, I was still under this agency. I bought a house. You know, that next year, I cleared a little more than 200 and just kept on going up, right? And just hustling, taking everything. Some years there were folders where, you know, 50 or 60 logo folders, right? Some were 100, some were 10 grand. All amazing. And within about five or six years, I uh, had paid my house off and had no debt. And that was 2012. I guess that was about seven, eight years. Nice. By 2012, 2011, I was free of all debt and had, you know, money in the bank. And I have not looked back since. So, Wow. Because, I mean, that was a lot of Cadbury's cream eggs. So you made the right <laughs> choice, right? <laughs> but how how did you find or how did those clients find you? You know, like those early clients and it built and built and built. How how were you finding that work? Well, we were snowboarders and um, skateboarders and stuff, right? And, and that is an insular, weird little world. And the same crew and characters that I moved out west with, those guys kind of went home – at least those guys, they went home to start families and, and different things or go to school back and, you know, go start a business back in the Midwest. But those were the same sorts of characters that I met in the snowboarding industry, you know, uh, when I went to work for the magazine. And those people were working at brands and things and stuff, magazines, footwear, um, board companies, Burton, all the big names in the snowboarding world, right? LibTech and Ride and all the cool stuff. Well, I got to know the industry. So when I went to work for the agency, that industry, mm, you know, let's just say privilege that I knew some of those characters that helped me get on certain jobs at the agency because one of them was called Nixon watches, right? And these cool watches that you can get, you know, still at like a, you know, a, a skate shop or something or even bigger. But because I knew the world, you know, I had I had the pedigree of actually being in the West and snowboarding and skateboarding around this stuff in the nineties, 
and then went to school and then went and worked in the magazines that I had some you know authenticity on the Hill. And then of course, when I started to work for these things, here's how it happened. Um, when I was in my agency job, people would hit me up. One thing was to start a magazine with some friends. Another thing was to start a headwear company, Cole Headwear. Another thing was to start a little binding company called the Union Binding Company. So right there, those were three retainers, right? Not all that much. I think it was five grand for the mag and maybe 10 grand for coal and maybe another 10 grand for you. I mean, what that 25 grand meant right there, that's what allowed me to get a down payment for a house and then allowed me to save and get ahead. And every year those got bigger and bigger and awesomer and more and more responsibilities. And so when I went on my own, it was not a clean break as far as, you know, as those things kind of grew. And it was, the freelance outweighed the ability, whatever they could give me with the jobs and stuff. I made that transition, but I did it with some strategy. You know, first of all, I had some money in the bank. When I made that jump over to where it was just me, I want to say I had about five grand in the bank. Now, what that number meant was that five grand or maybe 10 grand. It meant I could fly home at any time to see my parents back in Michigan. It meant I could lend a friend a little bit of money. It meant I could pay my bills right away, right? Little things, cell phones and stuff and insurance, car insurance, car payments, all that kind of stuff. Everything was always so practical to this day. It's still that way. And what it was, it was all a march towards some kind of precipice of freedom. You hammer all night long so you can just get out of the agency sitch. You hammer all night long so you can start to pay off these things. You know, other buddies were out chasing young ladies. Some were chasing guys, whatever you want to call it. They're going ape shit. I wasn't really doing that, you know. I uh, I was working, saving, getting ahead. But I did it with a transition. Like uh, there was like a gradation because I knew people that just jumped out. And then I also knew people that jumped out and didn't quite get jobs. I knew guys from the snowboarding industry. They hit me up while I was still in the agency. Those were these budding little companies and they turned into things. And within shit, two or three years, 2006, five, six, seven, those were proper retainers where I was, you know, making a living off of, you know, just those three big ones, the magazine, the headwear and the bindings. And of course, littering in between all those cracks, logos, things, stuff, merch, starting to, you know, um, you know, when I started to go on the road right around 2011 or 12 or something and talk about all this shit and share it, that was a whole nother little weird appendage that started to grow out of my, you know, five things. Like, you know, you do some logos, you, you work for a couple buddies and before you know it, you know, you've got like sort of your five fingers on one hand, right? Well, before I knew it, you know, things just kept, you know, field notes started somewhere there. And that was self-initiated and then given to friends in Chicago. And that became a company, 2005, six, seven, something like that. So then suddenly there's another appendage that comes out of this. Suddenly you've got like, you know, 12 or 13 things on your one hand. And you're, it's like, wow, man, this is starting to cook and starting to go, you know. But I guess what's important is that when I made that transition, the commitment I had made to myself was, first of all, I did not do broke. I did it with a little bit of padding, might've been five or 10 grand. So at least in the very worst case scenario, if the, if the, the work dried up, I'd have five or six months to cover myself to try to go find a job, try to find new clients. But luckily it just kept exploding, you know, into more and more things. Yeah. 
It sounds like a lot of stuff was coming your way and that you're clearly loving it. But how did you like manage the work-life balance side of it? As in, how did you know how to manage your workload, even if you are loving it? Well, there wasn't a lot of balance there. You know, I worked as much as I could because I understood that this is my shot to get ahead. When else am I going to do it? You know, I mean, what were my splurges? They weren't necessarily going snowboarding anymore. It might have been going to the record store. But I remember this. I remember this. You know, when you say work-life balance, you know, it's like when I got on my own, I started doing these road trips in the fall that were amazing. And I would go back and see my mom and dad in Michigan. I would drive all the way there and do loops and whoop-de-doos and crisscrosses and all sorts of shit across the states and basically lived in my little Passat wagon sometimes, you know, but you would go to a town like St. Louis, Missouri and say, you know, get a little hotel on the outskirts that's clean and safe and has Wi-Fi and all this shit. This was at the dawn of Wi-Fi, 2004, 5, 6, because what it meant, my clients didn't know that I was in Missouri kicking ass in some little hotel room. And what I would do is I would work late nights in there and then I would get up in the morning and I would go see the city and do stuff. So, you know, to answer that question, it's like, there wasn't a lot of balance. I, I took every job I could get. I mean, I tried. There were a couple of things I had to let go, but that's how you get ahead. But I will say it, it, it opened up so much time that I could go do do things like those road trips. That was amazing. Mm. You couldn't do that in an agency setting. You know, you know, you had to get time off and play all these games and paperwork and shit. You know, whatever. You know, I could just go. I could just go, and I was free in, in a lot, in a lot of interesting senses. And yet. My commitment to my clients didn't change. As long as that shit was waiting for them in the morning, wherever time zone they were at, we were cool. So I always had a list. This is what I'm working on. And if it means pulling over right now and going to some, you know, the McDonald's, you know, you guys have heard of those. McDonald's has strong Wi-Fi anywhere in the nation here. And if you just get close, don't eat that shit. But if you get close to it, every now and again, a Big Mac, I guess I'll just have to, you know, just for full disclosure, but you get close to it, you can get the Wi-Fi on my little laptop in 2006, right? And I'd sit there, whatever file I had just worked on the night before, whoosh, off into the ether to my client, and then I was back on the highway, right? So that just took organization and it took a commitment to like, tonight you don't get to go to see the band that you wanted to see in this town, you know, or or whatever it was going to be. Tonight you're in a hotel room and then you're going to hammer until this thing's done, right? And that's really no different now, right? But, mm. um, but I will say, people started to see signs of imbalance, you know, of just like, listen, did you just say you worked for like three weeks straight? And it's like, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're sleeping and you're doing things and you're, you're, you're going out to a, with a friend to eat or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, when I got a girlfriend, you know, this, you, you ought to see this little, this little moonbeam. Jesus, we could turn the lights <laughs> off in this room right now. And she'd walk in here and light the place up with her radiant beauty right now. She saw it right away, you know, because, you know, she had balance in her life, going outside, exercising, eating properly, um, being a nice human, being nice, being all sorts of things that I sort of wasn't, right? And that's always been a struggle because, you know, I'll just kind of look her right in the eye and just kind of go, you got it pretty easy with me, don't you? Shit like that. Because <laughs> I just have to remind her, like, I worked hard for those 30s so we could chill a little bit in the 40s, but I've kept that pace going. In fact, just yesterday we were talking with friends and it was like, how much more, Draplin? How much more? 
remember when I remember the thirties, when you started this stuff, how much more, you know? And it was like, uh, I don't know, three more years and I get to 50 and I'll change, I'll change some stuff, you know, and, and slow it down. You know, maybe. Maybe. So how did things grow then through, through those thirties to where we are now? Did your business change at all? So right at the beginning, it's you doing designs, design, design, design. Um, how, how things changed, if at all? Well, you know, right into that, it was like the the retainer clients, and we'll say the big three, Snowboard, Snowboard Magazine, which was completely independent. We started it with our money and our friends, and it turned into, and turned into like a viable thing. That was, let's just say, uh, I don't know, about five grand a month, you know? That was like a real thing. Right. You know, but not all year, maybe seven issues. So let's just call it a cool 35 grand. The other things, the retainers for coal and union, those were getting substantial because I was on the clock all year long for them. They would give me a list. I would give them an estimate. We'd battle it out. And of course, whatever that number was, I'd give them 20% more just because we were friends, you know, and it's like the ability to say with two retainers from those guys, I have my entire year covered. Just those two. What about the mag? What about all the logos? What about all the stuff? So frankly, from about 2004 to about 2011 or 12 or 13, it was like that, right? It was just these retainers were getting bigger. I was saving more and more money. The The projects were getting the, like the one-offs, you know, someone come with me for a logo. I would have to leverage and say, you guys, I have so much going on with my big three. If I'm going to do this project for you, this is the price. Because what it means is they've already got me Monday through Saturday. But if I'm going to give you my Sunday night and Sunday, you're paying for it, right? You know you know what I mean? I mean, not trying to be tough. I, I never would have said that to anyone. But I just started to like stand up for myself. Because if it meant compromising my time, let's get paid for it, right? So whatever that means, they, they never would have felt that. So um, I would shoehorn these extra things in. Everything just got a little bit bigger. And then when I started to go on the road in 2011, 10, uh, maybe 12, and started to build these things into proper tours, it got even cooler. Because, you know, when I leave the house, it's not like I turn things off. That plane ride actually allowed me to focus a little bit more, being able to focus for five hours from here to Boston, right? So I get a lot done on the road. And then when I get to Boston, you know, with the next morning, we're going to go do this, you know, song and dance. That night they want to take me out drinking, but I don't really even drink. You know, I would stay in the hotel room with good, strong Wi-Fi, get all my shit done, and then get ready for a a fun day with the students or you know some big you know lecture or a conference or whatever the fuck it was. I never got to go to any of that stuff, man. I, I mean, in those thirties, we'll just say I didn't even really know about that world, right? Um, I've done Adobe Max for the last eight years, and it's been incredible. And I've I got a little name. I throw a little weight around there. And by the way, we sell off fuckload of merch while we're there but all according to plan but i didn't even know that was a thing i didn't even know it was a thing and then you get invited to one of those it's amazing you get to see all the software all the celebrity designers i got to be in the backstage with a bunch of them right right and then kids were acting like i was one of them and then they would meet me and realize i was just trying to get my parking validated like any other dick out in the out in the parking lot, right? You know, it's like they, they, <laughs> we, would, we would peel these veneers back really quick and then they'd like me maybe even a little more. They'd see I was just a regular kind of person, right? You know, so um, that really changed this kind of weird like public outreach, you know, and I, it became another finger where it's like, wow, 
I can make money on the road talking about myself and sharing this, doing workshops with kids. So for the last seven years, minus the pandemic, you know, it was a pretty booming, fun time. You know, I uh, got to go over 450 places, everything from Bratislava to Bend, Philadelphia to fucking Philippines, man. I got to go all over the place, Germany a bunch of times, Sweden, Australia, and then Dubuque, Iowa, you know, where no one goes. I went there. I've been there two or three times, you know, so that 450, you know, was every other, you know, kind of every other day sometimes, you know, it was like you were like leaving every Wednesday and then back by Friday morning. You do the, the gig in Salt Lake City on Thursday and then you're back by Friday morning, you know, and then have a weekend with my lady. Right. And then work, 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 you know. So this is how I got ahead. Just the best way to put it. As field notes started to grow, things started to come out, you know, that would shadow field notes sometimes, like Skillshare, the classes, right? All the merch that we're selling, all the merch that we're making, all the, you know, the road show, all, the book came out, went crazy in 2016. So I'm just trying to mitigate all this, you know, and enjoy it, take care of everyone around me, right? You know, Lee, my mom, my little sisters. I just bought my sister, Sarah was a horrible person, by the way. I thought my <laughs> sister, Sarah, say, you can put that on the record right now. No, she's wonderful. <laughs> she's wonderful. She looks just looks just like me with long hair. Poor girl. No, um, my, my little sister closest to me, Sarah, I'm about a year and a half older than her, you know, than her. And then my little baby sister, Leah, who might be, uh, I think she's about, th- if I'm 47, she's 37. I've got about, you know, nine, 10 years on her. Um, but just today, I bought my sister, Sarah, an Aaron chair, a beautiful you know, like kick ass, like no deal involved Herman Miller air on chair. And um, I mean, I've had this one for about 17 years, right? 17 years. My, my, one of the, my buddy Brad Chaffel from Cole Headwear back when we were starting the deal, he was watching how much I was sitting there, bought me a beautiful chair. And I've had this the whole time, but today I bought her a chair, you know? And um, I guess where I'm going with that is if they need something, I kind of have them covered. You know, this isn't about me trying to just put it all into a big bank account. I make sure my mom's covered, you know, mm. if she needs anything. I got her, you know, I feel like we need to jump back ever so slightly. Um, because for example, you've mentioned field notes. Yeah. We've, we've covered the fact that you've toured the world speaking and things. Um, can you explain what field notes is? How, what, what that is, what that meant for you? Well, um, I have been drawing in little books forever. Right. And it might have been just a sketchbook. It might have been paper just folded over. And it became part of my kind of half ass process to listen, make notes, make lists, check things off. Email is a constant battle as far as just trying to get to a zero inbox. And I can gauge a certain kind of number in my, my I've been under 50 the last 10 days. It's because I'm ahead right now. But when I get behind, it'll go up to like 88. 100 things in my inbox, which are anything from like a link from you to come on this, right? It, it does not leave the inbox until we're done with the podcast, right? Right. So that stays in there. Or a kid who wants some questions answered or something that is a quick deliverable that day. Get us these files and your typefaces and your things. Okay. Okay. That is sent off. It's out of there. But I can tell, I can, it's like the health of my sort of, you know, my, my practice is all about, you know, getting that to the zero inbox. When I had my appendix taken out in 2011 or something, I got down to like eight or nine emails because people thought I was going to die. 
All right. So they backed off of me. And <laughs> and, and <laughs> what a golden period that was. I was on death's door, Steve. Well, uh, uh, you know, when, when I'm working, it's like, how do you keep track of your life? You know, it's email, it's lists, it's things. And I would, when I went for Union Binding Company in Milan, Italy, one time after a long slog there, we went down to Milan and I saw my first set of like proper moleskins and I got a bunch of them and I read the little thing in the back that said, this is the same little book that Van Gogh used and, and, and Hemingway and these big names. And it was like, wow, man. And I used a bunch of them for years. In fact, even before that, a friend, when I was in school, a friend would go back home to Japan and she would get a stuff from Muji, right? And bring it back to Minneapolis. And I used that stuff until it was gone, right? So I bought a bunch of Moleskine and then somewhere, you know, either being a fan of it, I found out that that was kind of bullshit about the Hemingway and Van Gogh thing. Gullible or not, I really thought that this like little form went all the way back to some French countryside or something. No, it's marketing and they're full of shit, right? But it it, it just pissed me off because it was like, wait a second, I don't want to have my heart broken. I really thought that maybe this was the same paper and the stitching. Okay, okay, nerdy stuff. So here's the deal. I made my own, quite literally make my own. I would print them, cut them, fold them, cut the corners, make the things. Because I had tons of these things from when I was out, you know, junking all across America and I'd bring them back and all these sorts of cool little books and things from banks and all sorts of stuff. So I knew what they looked like and what they tasted like. So I started to make my own. Well, that wasn't going to cut it. You know, I did a couple hundred, gave, you know, used seven or eight of them for myself over the course of a couple months, you know, gave them to a bunch of friends. And then I made my first proper printing, 2,000 of them. Let's say 2,004 or five or something. 2,000 of them for 2,000 bucks. I gave a stack of them to my buddy Jim Kudal back in Chicago, who I was a fan of. Jim saw them that day. He's like, you're on to something. We shook hands, became, you know, kind of brothers. And, and this thing came out of that. And it was purely like if, if it would have been me just doing these things, they might still be in that same shoebox all these years later. Right. And that'd be okay. It's okay. It wasn't making a business. It was like, how do I make something so I have enough to give to my friends? That's as simple as I can put it. But Jim saw what there was because he's like an adult, you know, and he's a <laughs> smart guy. And he like took it and like, built a website, built a business, built a team, talented people in Chicago, built a life for me with this thing, right? I'm so thankful for Jim. And I mean, before we knew it, we were like a business, you know, and subscription lists and, you know, uh, annual this and uh, things every couple months and just, you know, colors and ups and downs. And then of course, the whole time we've never had a penny of debt. We really kept our act together and had small decisions that would resonate later. You know, it wasn't about getting bigger. It was about doing it right, right? So I am so, so proud of it. And on top of that, I use them every hour, every day. Yeah, that's the story right there. And I mean, now we're about 14 years in, 13 years in, and um, it continues to kick ass. Even through the pandemic, we were a little nervous, but people were, you know, remember, this isn't just for you know, you know, gigantic graphic designers trying to keep track of his day. 
People use them for poetry and grocery lists and, you know, yeah. prison breaks and gambling debts and just all sorts of cool schematics, all sorts of cool shit. You know, it's paper. You continue to design them? Yeah. There's a whole group of people back in Chicago that watch over this thing. 13 people, 12, 13 people, you know. But um, there's, a, you know, Brian's kind of our art director. And then, you know, he'll show me stuff. Sometimes he doesn't show me stuff, right? And I won't see it. And I'll just, I'll get a box of them after they show up. Other times, right now, like I'm on a project with these guys and like I'm in the thick of it. And sometimes it just kind of, you know, because I'm out here, ism, I'm just far away. It gets disconnected, you know. But Jim keeps me up to date. We talk every you know, once a month for a good, you know, good hour or something. And, and on top of that, sometimes I'm talking to him every other day. It's awesome. You know, he's kind of a big brother to me. I'm, I'm 47. Jim's about, you know, just hitting maybe 60. So he's got, you know, life experience and a family and the whole bit, you know. And so was that your first taste of like creating a, a product of like doing something beyond creating, a, you know, a design yeah, and off it right. goes? Well, probably for myself. But see, the, the, the scary part about when you're freelance is that, and I recognized this right away, was I was being paid, and hopefully well, you know, at least enough, to do it for other people. And the fact of the matter is, and, you know, without dragging, you know, a brand, I, I don't know if I should talk about, uh, it rhymes with stratagonia, okay? And, <laughs> and, and, you know, when you work for something that you're a fan of, I paid 300 bucks for a jacket in 1989 or something. I saved my money and I bought a Patagonia jacket that was beautiful, you know, maybe 250 bucks or something. But I had never bought anything that beautiful. When I got to work for them, it was, they're a really cool company, you know, and they really do beautiful work and it's great gear. But beyond that, they have great sort of social impact kind of stuff too. I really, it was a real privilege. But what you realize is like when you do a T-shirt for those guys, you get paid a nice chunk to be, you know, to be fair, when I'm messing with Patagonia, they paid me really well. But they make a lot on that T-shirt because that's what they're supposed to do. That's what the plan mm. is, right? They make a lot on that thing. So I got basically 1%, <laughs> we'll say, and they get 99 and it was just this thing where it's like, look, I'm trained. I'm, you know, I'm trained to be that person in that small or smaller percentage to say, yeah, let me help make you some stuff that then you guys can go and proliferate. They have the network, they have the organization, they have the wherewithal to go and like sell, 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 sell. Well, I kept doing that for other people. And it was like, wait a second, what happens if I do it for myself? You know, and Field Notes was the, was really the first time that I did that. And then Jim saw that and then it took off. But there were other things that I did that weren't maybe, not necessarily, it's not even the word successful. It's more like, I don't know how to say it. It's like, it's okay if something fell flat. The only marker that I was kind of placing on it was like, let's just let it exist. You know, there's no milestone here that we have to hit some big profitability. It exists. It does. Fuck it. It's done. Let's just enjoy that. Right. That's, a, there's a beauty to that. There's a release there of like, oh, wow, it can just be this something for just me and my friends. Well, what happens when that shit takes off? And that's kind of field notes, you know? And out of that came the merch. And now <laughs> I've got a bunch of, a couple typefaces going on. And then, of course, all those speaking gigs and, 
other things and stuff, you know, and po- doing podcasts. I mean, I'm just shamelessly, I'll just say yes to any of this stuff, but <laughs> this is a break for me, man. It's fun. You know, I know I'm the one doing all the talking like an asshole here, but you know, I get to meet <laughs> another person, you know, especially in this pandemic time, you know, it's a weird thing, but yeah, but that was the first time. Remember, you know, when that happens, then a whole new set of responsibilities come out of it where you're like, I got to be careful with this because these things, I'm not going to say a golden touch, but there were a couple things that just had a kind of a, you know, buffed out bronze touch to them where it was like bigger than I thought it was going to be. You know, it was just bigger. And it's, you have to be careful that you don't take on too much, you know, take on too much work. Well, well, we'll check it out. It's really just, you know, how many hours are there in a day, you know? And then as these things start to explode, you know, within a couple of years and field notes, you know, there were concerns about, you know, how big is the line going to get? You know, what happens when someone from the UK asks us to, you know, carry the product? How do we even get it over there? You know, we have a UK distributor now. And so there's like, you know, building blocks. And what I mean by that is like, there's no way I could do those, those jobs. There's just no way I can contribute to the sort of top level of like the creative and the look and the feel, but any of these other things that that's field notes because there's a proper team. But when you pull anything back into my lap, the merch, Mm. the things, the stuff, that's all me. My girlfriend does the shipping, helps with certain things, but you know, you just get this sense of like, this is getting too close to getting away from us. And if it gets away from us, it's going to affect a lot of other things. So there's an interesting balance there. How much is too much? And, you know, I know here I am throwing out numbers and money and things and stuff, but it was like, why did I go freelance? Because I could do better. I could do better and have a better creative life in that world. Right. And fuck man, so far so good. You know, at all times with the parachute though, the first parachute was like, Hey, if this doesn't go well, I'll go get another job. You know, it reminds me of a shitty little story where about five years into being freelance, we'll say 2009, you know, 10, I got a call from a prestigious headhunter in the Northwest. They kiss your ass. Cause listen, if they can place you into a job, they're going to get a cut. That's how it works, right? So you're thinking, oh, I'm something. They're calling me, you know, and they're blowing smoke up the old, you know, you know, the old, uh, you know, Tower of London, if you whatever you want to call it, up your old Big Ben, okay? And uh, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, it's a big Stonehenge jammed inside a. So, so uh, I'm trying to be cultural with you know, okay? So. They really get, you know, get after you. You know, what are you doing right now? Oh, I'm freelancing. I'm freelancing. Cool. I'm just, you're working out of your basement. Yeah, I'm working out of my basement. And she says, well, this, Aaron, this is a big branding job. And they're seeing your work. They, you know, a couple of fans are there. You know, they're seeing your stuff. They're seeing your output. And they're, you know, they know about you here in Portland. And she reads me the HR, you know, rigmarole. And she reads me the job brief. And somewhere along the way, she says, you know, just so you know, it's kind of business casual, which means you kind of got to wear like a shirt. At that point, you know, like I've only had a shirt tucked in at my grandma's funeral, right? And I just was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you have to kind of dress up and go in there. Well, what are the hours like? And she tells me, oh, yeah, you know, 40, sometimes 50, 60 hours. You know, some, there's going to be ugly weeks. And, and then she says, and by the way, on Fridays, you can just kind of wear whatever you want when you go into the shop. You know, you just, it's kind of like, you know, a uh, fucking Hawaiian shirt Friday, huh? So it was the casual day. So I finally just cut to the chase and I go, how much? And she says, Aaron, they're willing to offer you 99 grand a year right now. She goes, well, what are you making right now? If you don't mind. And I said, I broke 300 last year in my boxer shorts, <laughs> in, my ba- <laughs> in my basement, 
why the fuck would I ever go in there for anything? You know, and I just, and she, she became a human. And she said to me, Aaron, I'm so sorry. I assumed that you were like all these other kids that were just, you know, making just enough on their own. And what she didn't know about, and I didn't even know about, was just the sort of the width and the breadth of where these retainers could go. And when what happens when you actually commit to something and you take all these gigs, it was starting to add up. I'm not trying to be braggy. Please don't, whoever's listening to this shit, please don't take it that way. Those are triumphs. Because you got to understand, if I took a zero off that 300 and said, I only made 30 grand, I still would have gotten ahead with that because I would have known how to budget my time, budget my budget, you know, like come up, how much is your car insurance, all that kind of stuff. My mom Mm. taught me that. Make your budget, figure out what your monthly little, you know, doodad is, stick to it. So, you know, that funny little story there, long-winded, I know, not everything that's dangled in front of you, this little golden carrot, you know, on a stick it's not better sometimes bigger isn't better you know you can make it small stay shitty stay crusty stay without pants on and still get your budget covered and maybe even beyond you know but i say that with an asterisk and a wink like be careful it's volatile and you better be organized and you better be willing to you know take it on the old chin every now and again you know yeah we touched upon like your speaking but i'm just wondering like how did that get started you know, it's one thing for somebody to see somebody who's been at Adobe Max for eight years. Oh my but, God! Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, but but yeah. but we sit there and think, well, how how did that start? You know, where this came from was simply I got to go do a panel discussion up in Seattle, and we were already up there because Seattle's just a couple hours above us here, right? Three hours, and we were up there with my clients, Cole and Union. Those two guys were up there. You know, these, you know, each, you know, Cole had seven or eight people at the time. Union had six or seven, whatever it was. So I'd go up and see my my two points of contact, George and, from Union, and and my buddy Brad from Cole. These are you know basically brothers, right? We were working all mm-hmm. year together on the phone, and I'd go see them every couple months. So we're up there to do something and you know celebrate something or approve something or you know work on a project or something. And then that night was a panel discussion, and the panel discussion was something about snowboarding in the industry or something. And I was one of six on this little thing. And the one guy that got me into it, my buddy Stick, you know, this guy Stick who used to work for this thing called Ride. Stick kind of got me into this and said, just come and sit with us. It'll be fun. There's going to be a little crowd of people. And, um, you know, if you want, you know, you can bring some of your merch to sell. I had a couple of things that, you know, hats and some stuff and brought a little pile of stuff to sell, like a band or what we'll just say. And um, I went up to this thing and it was really fun, you know. And then on top of that, out of the six, Two of us really were the ones who were talking. This is just what I remember. You know, it's, you know, you don't want to be a ball hog like I'm doing on this. You don't want to be a ball hog, but you also, like, if no one's going to say anything, fucking pipe up, right? There's a crowd there that got to this thing, you know? And it was like this weird moment of like, I was terrified and freaked out. Okay. Because someone in the crowd saw that, I could kind of handle myself and be proper, you know, amongst other things. That was passed on to someone in the AIGA up there and somewhere they offered to have me come back, you know, for something, another thing. And then out of that, you know, I, of course, exploited the shit out of that on my social media or whatever and said, wow, I got to go to a panel discussion. You know, you show the graphic and you get to say with my buddy stick and we're going to be on this thing. It's going to be cool. Come to this thing. Well, someone saw that. And the next thing that came out of that is I had this offer where David Carson, and you know, that's a big graphic designer, right? David Carson. Well, he flaked on some gig down in Savannah, Georgia. 
flaked on it. And what that means is you sign a contract, you say you're going to be there and get on the plane and go to Savannah, Georgia, and then he flakes a couple days before, and these guys call me on a Thursday night afternoon, and they're like, hey, if you get on the plane tonight down to Savannah, Georgia, it's a bit of a red eye. We have you speaking tomorrow at noon. Can you do this? We like what you do, and you want to come see. And it was just like, well, let's go do it. Let's just go. So that night on the plane, I kind of you know, built this who, what, when, where, why. PDF, knowing like, how do you even do it? Like I'd never done a public speaking thing by myself. I was part of a conference. They had all sorts of other shit lined up for a whole weekend. But in the graphic designer, you know, a little flap of this thing, this big name, you know, I know David Carson from the 90s. I've been able to meet him a couple of times too, but um, he was a big name in the 90s. I had this book and stuff, you know, and I was just going to go fill these shoes, you know, as sort of this anomaly. So, I go down and I do this thing and it was really fun. Brought a bunch of merch with me, sold a bunch of shit. And because of the people in that, like I'm not down there for my health. You're getting paid to do it. It's pretty fun. You meet a bunch of cool people, but you bring the stuff and sell the stuff, you know, like a band. So I went down, it went really well. And there were people in the crowd that then started to hit me up and say, Hey, we really liked what you had to say. Would you come to this? And before I knew that, you know, that got me hooked into like AIGA and art director clubs and conferences and things. And just a couple short years later, I got to go to the biggest one of the year, Adobe Max. And that one, I was just a, you know, just a little barnacle, just a little, a little growth, an appendage, a, 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 a melanoma on, 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 on graphic design. Okay. And I remember that at that one, I, I, I brought a bunch of merch with me, you know, you know, there was no, what they call the marketplace. Now there wasn't any of that. Right. And I brought a mountain of shit with me and I went and gave a $50 bill to like a facilities guy, this old guy. And I was like, Hey, you get me a door and a couple of sawhorses. Here's a $50 bill. That guy went and grabbed it and set the shit up. He didn't know who I was with. Gave him the $50 bill. He was off. I set my merch up. And before I knew it, I had a line about a block long. If you want to meet Drap, <laughs> like I, I spoke an hour before or whatever. If you want to meet this asshole and buy some merch, here you go. I'm just proud to report, you know, the last one we got to go to about a year and a half ago now. It was fucking awesome. We had a line the entire time at our merch thing. I did my talks. I got to meet so many people. I got, I signed every field note. I shook every kid's hand, every selfie, any, you know, all of them. You have to understand that some of them, my contemporaries, I'm not going to name any names, but they don't really do that stuff. And that's okay. That's not, there's nothing, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you know, it's as a kid and I know, you know, it's fun to meet someone you look up to, or even just some people are just curious to get close and just go, oh my God, you know, whatever. There's some of that. And we'll sell shit to those guys all day. <laughs> but, but you know, I accommodate that stuff. So we ramp up and when we go do that, and you know, that's how it started. It was very natural, you know. Okay, Aaron, do you know, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie. And then let me figure out the line. <laughs> what have you got for me? Mm. I saw 49 of 50 states before I was the age 25. Right. Number two, I'm completely Windows-based. MS-DOS. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Number three, I'm a back sleeper. <laughs> Don't ask. As in, Don't ask. As Just in... <laughs> take it, Steve. Take it. Number four. 
Oh, no, there only needs to be three. We're not doing three, Steve. We're doing four. You put me through this. <laughs> Number four is I have over 4,000 records. Uh, 49 out of 50 states. How come you were, were you on the run? Were you a fugitive? How come you were? <laughs> well, road trips all over America, you know, and the only one I haven't seen is, is to this day is Hawaii. Right. Somebody needs to hire you to speak in Hawaii. If that one's true. It's fell okay. through three times, just so you know. Ah. I always try to bring my girlfriend with me, and they don't want to pop for the extra ticket. Anyway, next. <laughs> Windows-based. I like ugly machines. I like ugly software. <laughs> I like stuff that doesn't work. I like stuff that's not compatible with other things. I like shit that gets lots of viruses. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> you sleep. So you will only sleep on your back? I don't really know how to question that one. And you have 4,000 records. Now, People listening can't tell, but we are looking at one another, and there are a lot of records behind you. But I am trying to quantify 4,000, as in, I don't know, there's probably not even a 1,000 behind you. Oh, he's tilting the camera. <gasps> Blimey that! Listen, Steve, do you know who you're fucking with? Now you know. Now you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, in that case, I reckon you've never had a Windows machine. Maybe that first computer was like the very first iMac or whatever. So I'm going for Apple. You you don't have Windows at all. You are right. You are right. Yes. All the way back. All the way back. I worked all summer to get my first. It was a Mac clone. But I really, what I worked for is I worked all summer to get myself access to Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop and yes. just that world, the typefaces and stuff, that, that, that firepower, right? I was so proud of that because there were other alternatives. They just didn't feel as good, you know, but I went without for five months in Alaska, saved every penny. And that's what got me going in this stuff. That's what it took. Yeah. Nice. Now, Aaron, if you- Wait, what about the other things, that, the questions? There's another lie in those four. I'm a side sleeper, Folan. <laughs> So there's two lines. Yeah, I'm messing with you. Oh, for G- <laughs> if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Understand what it's going to take to keep your taxes cool. You got to pay the piper. You can't get behind on that shit because it'll bite you. It'll bite you hard, you know? So you got to be careful with that stuff. I learned the hard way a couple times, not necessarily fudging it, letting it slide a little too long or being sort of oblivious, but you can't mess with that shit. So as a youngster, you know, I would have told, you know, the, the young Aaron Draplin, every buck, every buck, about 40 cents, you have to have set aside because as the numbers start to go up, I'm not allowed to use that buck to pay everything off. I'm allowed to use 60 cents to pay everything off or whatever you want, whatever the buy records or the bullshit. And it's not that, you know, I was good about that, but what would happen is like, you know, there was a turnover one time with my accountant and I wasn't quite proactive enough. I was on a road trip. I had assumed he was going to have me for the next year. He let me go because he was retiring. And what that meant was he didn't put the paperwork in for all my extensions that of course I would ritually abuse every year, you know, every year that would come up and it was supposed to be in April and I would get the extension. It would go till August and then it would go till September. Next thing you know, we're putting the shit in on the deadline on October 15th. Right, right, right. I would abuse that every year. Well, that one year that I assumed like the other years that he had put my extension in, he didn't. I simply didn't open his letter that I got from him. Every year up to that point, I got the same letter. We've got your extension in Aaron, you animal. We're going to get your things. That year I didn't open it. I put it on top of all my other scary envelopes. When I opened it, it said, I'm retiring. So I get the failure of the file. That year cost me $22,000. So that could have bought my mom a car. That could have um, done a lot of things, right? You know, and I cried my eyes out because 
First of all, I thought I was going to get in trouble. No, they'll work with you. But there was a there was a pretty stiff penalty. You know, to the younger youngsters out there, you're not going to get around this. That's part of being a citizen. It's part of the deal. Part of being freelance is not just being able to pull off the cool work and the cool jobs, be it sound, recording, editing, whatever you're doing, man, or me being a fucking cake decorator, whatever that is. There's a grace to how you communicate, how you get jobs, how you keep jobs, how you hand off jobs, hopefully the work you do along the way, and how you handle your finances. It is as important as any of those other things, right? So it's a big part of it. You know, the ability to sleep at night, to comply, do it creatively, and be a citizen and do your part, you know? Yeah. Just one thing I'm thinking before we go is you mentioned your friend saying how much more how much more right like are you somebody who has like long-term goals and thinks or or are you somebody who just goes with the flow well when i started at like let's just say you know 31 32 years old the goal was just to get my school loans paid off that was only three or four years it accelerated past that because the next one which was a large one i paid off my house And then you start going past that and it's like, I don't really need to have car payments anymore. And it just continues to accelerate and you start to save money. So really the next goal is trying to wrap my head around what it's going to mean to dial all this stuff back and start to enjoy. Just yesterday, I was talking with a friend and he kind of punched me in the face with one of these things like, listen, you know. When was the last time that you just had nothing to do? And, and and I told this little story about when we went to Palm Springs to stay at my buddy's like mid-century awesome glass house thing that he has in Palm Springs. There's a, there's a pool in the backyard with a big fence. You should have seen me in that pool. You know, you guys have a sea world over there with Shamu. That's what it was like a fucking skit from that. You know, Lee had the rings and the little, little, the little fish and it was bad. Me coming out of the water. It was bad, but we were down there on a vacation. And we had the whole day to do nothing. It's so rare. And I remember how loose I felt. And that night, when I broke away from doing nothing, I went and kicked ass on three hours of stuff and powered through it and made some of the greatest stuff I've made in a while that you're still seeing on my merch roster right now, right? And that that's what we talked about. He's like, you know, Aaron, you know, imagine having four days a week of that, you know, where you pound through a couple good days you do know that you're already there. And I, no one's ever told me that because that's just not the world I inhabit, you know? And and the world I inhabit in my head is that it's not that it's going to go away, but no, these are hard things to let go because I know this is going to sound really shitty, but when I go home and I see a buddy who might be struggling and then I come back out West, it's hard to say no to these things because shit, I'll just give it to them, you know, to help them. How dare I say no? It is a privilege to have this dangle in front of me. And what would be the next phase? I'd like to go build a house for myself, buy a piece of property and build a house. And whatever contractor, that poor fuck who has to deal with me all day long. But I want to be the guy helping holding beams and shit, right? Learning how to do that stuff for once in my life. When they built my studio here, there were contractors and things and stuff. And it was the most amazing. I've been here two years. The most amazing process, you know? My buddy Robbie built me a dream come true, right? So this is attached to a shitty little house, which is anything but a dream. That thing's from 1924 and creeks and spiders and all the stuff, but I own it. 
And the next step is like maybe the next couple of years, we start hunting some property. We get the thing built. And then saw all this money I've been trying to save and shit. I go plop it into a big, you know, my dream house and then start living my 50s. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the, you know, we're having those discussions, Steve. That, I mean, you can rest easy that I'm not just this complete, you know, gorilla. But I'll just say this much. Just before this, someone dangled a hook and said, you know, I'm going to throw a number out there. This is a We got a logo five grand. I just wrote back like a jerk and I said, listen, you guys are bigger than that. I want 15 grand. And they came back and said, how about 10? <laughs> and I took it. That is just insane because that will that will make its way back to Lee and my sisters and my almost brother-in-law, Jacob, you know, who I'm, I'm teaching illustrator and, and, and kind of, you know, like, I don't want those guys to go have to work. You know, two months ago, he came to me and my brother, you know, my brother-in-law, Jacob, that's my little sister, my baby sister, Leah's you know, partner. And he said, Aaron, I'm going to get a job at Amazon because he lost his job, you know, in the pandemic and stop me to said, stop the 1500 bucks you're going to make a month. How about I just cover that? Okay. We'll get later on. You can, and maybe if you don't, who cares? Learn the, the stuff, take good care of my little sister, take good care of Oliver, the, the little nephew. And, you know, and, and I got you covered who gives a shit, right? We're in a weird time. And I've been so lucky to get so far ahead with this freelance monster that then they can chill a little bit. My little sister does nails, right? I kind of retired her out of her job because here's the deal. No offense to people getting their hair done and their nails done. It's a fair, safe bet. Maybe they're not as concerned about social distancing. So I just got my sister out of that and said, when this shit lifts, get back to that world. But I am so proud that I can just be like, I got you guys. They did not drop in this pandemic. You know, I, I kind of hold them up and hold them right where they were so they can just be comfortable and enjoy having their 10-year-old kid, you know? so. Oh, man. It's so good to hear that it's, it's worked out so well for you. Go to beingfreelance.com and there are links through as there are for all of our guests so you can check out Aaron's online. And remember, you can also come join the community. That's at the website too. And since you've got your phone app out, presumably listening to this, check out the other podcast I do for freelancing parents. It's called Doing It For The Kids. Go search that. Uh, but for now, Aaron, thanks so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you, Steve. I applaud you, man. I love seeing people in- inventing their way, you know. Stay strong, man. We'll see you around. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Now, let me tell you what I really think about you, okay? Let me get my cord out of the way here. Steve, you son of a... Oh, so there we go. That's the last one of season 13, and it has been so good. Voices like these. I think you do have to practice saying your pricing out loud if you want to push it higher. When the pandemic started, I just started making personal projects and I started to get a lot of traction for it and jobs coming through from it. Marketing is not that complicated at the end of the day. Marketing is just starting conversation. When you press send on that quote and you're like, oh, we'll be sick. What is the balance of taking in work that will pay me now versus laying the groundwork for this other existence that I see in my future? I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming. 
And until it gets here, I'm going to do the work. Oh, it's been so good. Thank you so much to all of them for their time. Go back and listen to them if you haven't already. And there's nearly 250 episodes to get your ears around now. And while the podcast is on a break, you can still come and join me in the community, beingfreelance.com. Click on community and I'll be hanging out there. You can join freelancers from around the world because you are not alone being freelance. All right, that's it from me. You have a nice break while I do too. And I'll see you on the other side. All the best being freelance.